Acts chapter 8 today where we start to get closer to where we are going to see Paul uh, become more and more part of the story of what is happening in the early church. Last week as we closed, we saw uh, Stephen who was telling the council about the history of Israel. He shared with them all the details from, from the time of Abraham all the way to the time of Jesus. Oh, they were good all the way till he got up to the point of talking about Jesus and said, oh yeah, and by the way, oh, you killed him. You know, they didn't like that. Nobody likes to be accused of murder, especially murdering the Messiah the one that they were supposed to be waiting for and welcoming when he came into the world. And instead, they murdered him. So, when Stephen said that, it just lit them up. And they brought him out of town, and they stoned him to death. And we're told that at that moment, uh, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so he was there watching all of this take place. But as Stephen was being stoned to death outside the city, he makes a couple of statements. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Because he had said, I, I see the heavens open, right? And, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father, he saw... Heaven opened before him. And I, I know that that is hard for us to grasp. It's hard for us to understand. Maybe, you know, in some movie they depicted it and it looked like um, hokey. Uh, but in our own minds, we can't even fathom what that really looked like. Because if the people that were there actually saw what Stephen saw, they probably would have dropped their stones. They probably wouldn't have continued what they were doing. But, you know, he saw something that was meant for him to see. And sometimes we do. We see things that God wants us to see that nobody else sees. In my morning devotions, when I'm reading and suddenly something jumps out and it hits me right here and it lets me know this was for you. Read this. Hear me. I'm speaking to you specifically. And I know. I, I, I don't see any visions. I, I, it's not that I, you know, that, that the words become a different font. It's nothing like that. It's the fact that in my heart I know. And it's only because at that moment, my heart was ready to receive whatever the Lord was going to speak to me. I've done devotions in the morning where I read through, and after I'm done, I have to question, what chapter was I? I don't even remember what I read, because I was just reading. And then I stop myself and say, let me go back and pay more attention I, I read every word, but when I read it the second time and actually focus on what they say, they speak to me. 
So it's not like you're reading the newspaper. Although newspapers um, have information about what's going on in the world today, so does your Bible. And you have a little more clarity. There's a little more hope in the Bible than there is in a newspaper. So Stephen was being stoned there, killed right before uh, this young man Saul's eyes. And he was okay with that. So today's message is titled Buying Power. And we resume our studies in, in Acts chapter 8 with verse 1. Where we read, now Saul was consenting to his death. He was consenting to the death of Stephen. He was okay with it. Because he thought Stephen needed to be... Back then, they believed, the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they believed that it was blasphemy to bring up the Messiah in a way that he was actually on earth doing things and, and calling Jesus the Messiah was blasphemy. And so he was consenting to that because what Stephen said was just blasphemy. They believed that they, the council, were the ones to determine whether or not someone was the Messiah. Only they would know. And then they would be able to tell the world who the Messiah was. But the Messiah would come to them first and let them know. In reality, the Jews were meant to be prepared for the Messiah. The Jews were meant to tell the world about the Messiah. It was part of what God wanted them to do. But they didn't do anything that they were supposed to be doing. And that's why Stephen went back with that historical account. You killed the prophets. Anyone that mentioned the Messiah, you killed them. Because you didn't want to hear it. And they're doing that now. They killed Stephen, and Saul was consenting to the death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So here, the church was scattered, and we would say, oh, what a bad thing. Oh, the church. This was the biggest church split ever. These were thousands of people in Jerusalem and they all spread out and the only ones left were the 12 apostles there in Jerusalem. That's some church split. But they went out and they brought the word with them as they were scattered. Now, they didn't have to scatter. They could have stayed in Jerusalem. All they had to do was keep their mouth shut. All they had to do was not talk about the name of Jesus. And they would have been fine. But they scattered because they weren't going to do that. They weren't going to keep silent. They were going to bring the word wherever they went. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So Saul believed what he was doing was right. He believed that these people were mocking God with what they were teaching. And so 
he believed he was righteous and according to the law of the Jews, he was. He was doing what was right in the sight of their law. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. The good news got out. You see, God didn't want them just to stay in Jerusalem and have people come to them. He wanted them to go out. <coughs> Jesus said, the works that I do, ye shall do also, and greater works than these shall ye do, because I go unto the Father. Well, he wasn't meaning that you were going to do bigger and better miracles. What he was saying was, the church was going to have more impact in the world and do greater works because he was one man. Now there are thousands able to go out and bring the word. But if they all just hang out in Jerusalem, well, they're only going to be able to impact the people, the sphere of influence. You all have a sphere of influence no matter where you're from. If you're here visiting and you're from somewhere else and you're going back, you have a sphere of influence there. No matter where you are, that's your, the people that you work with. That's your sphere of influence. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to become an evangelist. But your life should be an evangelistic tool that God uses to show people how Jesus changes lives. We, our actions, our lives are the tool that God uses. He molds us and shapes us into the people that we are so that we can go out and share the good news by how we live. Sometimes we may even tell people what we believe. Can you imagine that? What's different about you? Oh, I, I shop at Kohl's. You know, that's not what's different about you. What's different about us is who is inside of us. And people can see. People can, even when we don't think people can see, they can. And when they do, they may say something to you or they may not. They may stay quiet just to watch what's going on. Can you imagine all of these thousands of Christians, new Christians, they didn't go to Bible college for four years and now they're going out into the world. They're new Christians. And they're leaving Jerusalem and they're going out into the cities all over the world and they're bringing the good news. Some of them, the good news was, hey, I, I found Jesus. I thought they killed him. They did, but he rose again and he lives inside of me now. Let him out. <laughs> so, so people can sometimes get the wrong idea of what it means to be a Christian and get the wrong idea by the things we say. They... Uh, they misunderstand what it really means to be a Christian. It's important for us not to tell people how to be a Christian according to what we think they need to hear, but what the Bible says. And we can start very simply. 
God loved you so much that he sent his son that if you believe in him, you can have eternal life and it won't be taken away from you. It's very simple. And when they hear that, it gives them hope. Me? Me? I can have that? Yes. Even you. I don't like you, but Jesus loves you. <laughs> there are many people that when I first shared the love of Jesus with them, I really didn't care for them very much. But then they got saved and we started building a relationship and we became friends. I was stuck with them. I was in the Navy. I was serving on a ship and they didn't have a chaplain on board the ship. And so I was able to hold Bible study every single night for 10 months while we were over in the Persian Gulf. And the captain of the ship let me do it. He said, I'll, I'll announce it every night at 6 p.m. You can have the library to hold Bible study. And I never expected that to happen, but there it was. And there were a lot of people coming into that Bible study that I didn't care for. A lot of people I knew about their history before we were meeting in that Bible study. And they came in there and they heard about Jesus and they got changed. God changed their heart. And I was amazed. And then God told me, what are you amazed about? I told you I was going to do this. You know, you're the one teaching them. You know, shouldn't you already know this? You know, and, and it was the beginning of understanding how God actually reaches the heart of people. And we do that by how we live and by what we say or don't say. So they were scattered and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Uh, Samaria, first of all, was not one of the best places that the Jews, you know, wanted to be around. As a matter of fact, Jews would avoid Samaria. They would go around Samaria when they were going to northern Israel. They would, you know, leave Jerusalem and go down and go around Samaria. Why? Because the Samaritans, in, in, um, you'll find in Deuteronomy chapter 7, they were actually Jews that integrated with Assyrians. And they had a little bit of both worlds in their religious system. And when Ezra was going to rebuild the temple, they came down and said, hey, we'll help you rebuild it. We'll get involved. And they said, no, we don't, we don't want your help. You know, wrong. We don't, we don't want to do that. And then when Nehemiah was going to build the wall, they came down and said, oh, we'll, we'll help. And Nehemiah said, no, no, that's okay. We don't want your help. We are going to do this. And then they tried to stop it. They wanted to stop them from being able to build the temple, to build the wall, and they were in the way. But Jesus went to Samaria when the apostles were all like, oh, let's go around, you, you don't know where you're going. 
you know, Jesus and no, no, I've got an appointment at a well. I'm going to go talk to a woman. Well, he didn't tell them. He just went and did it. And he spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. And in those days, many of those people got saved. When he was going to the Samaritan woman at the well, you know what he didn't do? He didn't carry a big sign saying, you're going to hell. Have you seen folks that carry the signs that say you're going to hell? Most people know they are. Or they know that there's not a lot of hope on this earth. So carrying a sign telling them they're going to hell is not going to get them to focus on the right thing. It's going to focus, how do I get out of this trouble? And they're going to focus on the wrong thing instead of focus on the right thing. The right thing is God loves you. And Jesus went there to show that woman I love you. And I can say, I have rivers of living water. I can save you. And she was saved. And then the whole city was impacted because of that. A Samaritan woman. Someone the Jews wouldn't even talk to. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits came crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame, and were healed. So Philip goes in there, and he just starts preaching the word. And the first thing he did was preach the word, and they were listening, they heeded, and then they were healed. They first heard the word, and then they were healed. And they witnessed the miracles. At the same time the miracles were happening, they heard the demons coming out of these people that were demon-possessed. And they were set free from their demons. They were set free from their sin. And... They were being saved. And because of that, verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. Great joy. Because they had hope. They were hopeless before, and now they have hope. They can have joy. You can have peace amidst suffering. They were people that were outcasts. They weren't loved by the Jews. As a matter of fact, they were hated by the Jews. But God loves them, and he showed them, proved it to them, sent Philip. Philip goes there, and there's great joy now in the city because they have hope. We can have great joy. Regardless of what's going on in the world right now, we can have great joy. And I hear these stories coming out of Ukraine of those people that are removed from the tragedy that's going on there, and they're rescued and they're brought into places. They've lost everything. 
They've lost their homes. They're bombed out. All of their worldly goods are destroyed. They will probably never see them again. And now they're living in a place like Poland and Hungary. And wherever they are, a lot of them are going to other countries. They're actually escaping even there and going on. But can you imagine for them, they're going to places that don't speak their language. They have children with them. How are these kids going to learn? They don't teach in their language. And so they have a lot to overcome. And there's not a lot of peace and joy. But I hear these reports coming back from the people on the ground there. And they're saying there's lots of joy. Because people are learning about love through how people are caring for them. People are ministering to them. People are demonstrating the love of Jesus to them. And because of that, they're learning about someone that they may have never had the opportunity to hear about. There are 16 Calvary chapels in Ukraine, but people aren't flooding into the Calvary chapels. They still live in a system that doesn't really promote religion in that way. They don't promote the idea of go and get saved. You know, they still have their religious systems that they follow, their traditional orthodox systems that they follow. And it, it, it's kind of like going to a church and listening to the service in Latin. You know, well, how does that help, you know, if you don't understand Latin? I know some of you, uh, you know, say, I don't even understand you, pastor, but... You know, that's, that's your problem. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking English most of the time. So, you know, when I, I read the word, I let the word do the work. And I just fill in some of the areas. So I, I just pray that as I'm sharing with you what I got out of this, that it has some impact. But it's, the power is in the word of God. It's in what God has given us in the letter of his word. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced, practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria claiming that he was someone great. That word astonish was, is the word bewitched. He used witchcraft to astonish the people. And he was claiming to be someone great, to whom they all gave heed. This is a problem that we still have in our world today. There are many people on TV that claim to be someone great. And I'm not just talking about religious broadcasters. There are many people on TV that tell you that they have the answers. You know, or on Facebook, you'll be scrolling and you'll get one of those sponsored ads and they have the solution to your dietary problems. They know exactly what you need and, and everyone has their own solution. If there were that many solutions, there wouldn't be an overweight person in the country. 
But we know that that's not the real problem. The problem isn't what we do physically. Really, the problem is a spiritual problem that we have in the world. And to be established spiritually correct is what gives us hope, what gives us strength to overcome the physical in the world. And here's this man who was using evil spirits to prove himself to be someone great. And they gave heed, all gave heed to him from the least to the greatest. From the least person to the greatest person, they listened to him and they gave heed to him. He was hanging out and hobnobbing with all of the elites and they listened to him because he was showing them tricks. So remember when uh, Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh and, you know, and, and God told him, hey, take your staff and just throw it down. It's going to turn into a snake. And then, you know, grab it by the tail and, and then it'll become a, a stick again. That'll, you know, give them something to think about. But when he did that, the magicians were able to do the same thing. The only difference was Aaron's rod ate the others. <laughs> you know, so it was obvious there was something a little different about Aaron's rod. But, you know, we know that when someone claims to be great, you have to be able to prove it. And he was showing little things and they thought, this man is the great power of God. They thought it was God that was giving him the power. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. It wasn't that he did it one day and then uh, after that it, it didn't happen. No, he was doing it on a regular basis for a long time. But then Philip comes on the scene, verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. They believed him by what he taught them and he followed up what he taught them with miracles. The miracles were confirmation that what he was teaching them was true. And so because he proved what he taught them, they believed and they were baptized, both men and women. And then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Why was he amazed? Because they were so much better than his miracles. They were things he knew that he wasn't going to be able to do. Back in those days, there would be magicians that would have tricks and, and things that they would do, and they would sell them to one another. You know, and one guy would see the miracle and say, you know, or the trick, and then say, yeah, oh, how did you do that? I'll pay you this much to find out how to do that. And then he would go somewhere else and then go and propagate that by, you know, showing people what he was able to do. And then people would think that he was great. And so, 
they were amazed by seeing Philip. Verse 14, now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Uh, that's interesting. They were in Jerusalem and they heard that Samaria was getting saved. And so that must have been disconcerting. You mean Samaritans can get saved too? Samaritans? You know, and yeah, everyone. Everyone for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever isn't a group of people. It's all people, whosoever. And so, John, and now here's another interesting thing. Peter and John, it says uh, that they were sent. They sent Peter and John to them. You see, a lot of people, some people, think that Peter was the first pope. You know, he was the first one in charge. The pope isn't sent by anyone. He's the one that makes the rules and he does what he wants to do. And uh, Peter wasn't being popish. He was sent by the group. Remember, the church dispersed. There were only the 12 of them. Who was he sent by? By the other guys. Peter and John. The other 10 said, we don't want to go. Those are the Samaritans. You go. You guys know what to do. And so Peter and John, the, the two that went to the tomb, remember they had the foot race to the tomb? Who won? Come on, who won? John! John won. He beat Peter to the tomb. So Peter had to outdo him and then run into the tomb. Oh, see, you got here first, but I'm going in. You know, and they were very competitive but here we see that they're still together to go out and do the things God calls them to do. Go to the Samaritans. And they were sent to the Samaritans who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the Holy Spirit came into them when they were saved. They were baptized, but he didn't come upon them. Epi, they, he didn't come upon them in the power. And why not? Philip was there teaching them. But it had come upon. And they came and they prayed for them. And they laid hands on them, verse 17. And they received the Holy Spirit. So here we see something different. You see, they believed. They were saved. They were baptized. And so now they are believers in Jesus Christ. But until Peter and John got there and laid their hands on them, they didn't experience the filling of the Holy Spirit, and they received the Holy Spirit, it says. And so now it's something completely different. And now it's this filling and empowering. And what does this teach us? It teaches us that Peter and John had a gift that Philip didn't have. 
You see, Philip was able to cast out demons. He was able to perform miracles. He was an evangelist. He was able to preach the gospel and people were getting saved. But he didn't have the gift of laying on of hands so that people would receive the Holy Spirit. And that is still true today. No matter what a teacher tells you, the spiritual gifts did not end in 70 AD or with the apostles. The gifts continue to this day. And so these are different gifts and everyone has a different gift to be used. And so now as we recognize what our gift is, it may not be the laying on of hands, but everyone has the gift of evangelism. Not that you have to go and, you know, take a course on evangelism and go, all you have to do is share your testimony. This is what God did for me. This is who I was before. This is who I am today. Please, if you go out to share your testimony with anyone, what you were doing before you got saved is not more important than what happened after you were saved. I can tell stories about all of the bad things I did before I was saved. No, I really can't because I can't remember them. But, you know, I think that's a gift from God also. You know, but if I dwell on that, I'm glorifying who I was before. It's not about who I was before. It's about the new creation that I am in Christ. Because now I have the Holy Spirit. I'm a new creation. I look the same. But there's something different. And people that know me from way back when say, oh, there's something different about you. Yeah, about 50 pounds. But they, what they don't know and they can't recognize is the Holy Spirit unless they're believers. And then they can see what the difference is. Then they recognize what the difference is. And so... Here, Peter and John, they're, they're tasked with going there, laying hands on them and distributing the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. You see, he thought it was something that he could buy. So, that tells me when he was, he believed, it says, and he was baptized, that what he believed and why he was baptized was not for the right reason. His heart wasn't right with the Lord in what he was doing. You can believe in Jesus Christ intellectually, but not have the Holy Spirit in your life. You have to ask for the Holy Spirit to come into your life. That's something, that, that's our part of the responsibility of becoming Christians. We have to ask that he would come into our lives. And in doing that, why would you ask for something and not use it? Right? 
I, I, I want that new car, and I got the new car, I put it in my garage, I'm never touching it again. Now that I have it, I, I put a cover over it, and it's just going to sit there and go, because now I have what I want. Uh, but what good is it sitting in the garage underneath the cover because you go back in 10 years and it won't even run? It, it, it would, all the rubber would be destroyed and the seals would be bad. You have to put it in use and then you have to maintain it to keep it running. Not that the Holy Spirit is a car. Please do not edit that online and then now everybody's going to hear that I just said the Holy Spirit was a car. That's not what I'm talking about, but you understand what I'm saying. We need to continue. Which dog are you feeding? And that's the healthy one. Not that the Holy Spirit's a dog. I know that's going to be on there now. The thing is, we need to be feeding the Holy Spirit in our lives so that he is in control and he can do the things he wants to accomplish. God is going to accomplish things in our lives and through our lives. And Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. You see, he thought that he could get away with this. He thought that this was going to, and it wasn't what God was going to do. He said, repent therefore of this wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And there are many Christians today that have found a church and they live in the church and they listen to the teachings but they're still bound by their iniquity. They're not set free. The gospel sets us free from us, from the sin that's inside of us. The gospel sets us free but they're not set free. They're bound by the iniquity. And then Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. You see, his faith wasn't such that I'm going to pray to God that that won't happen. He's saying, you pray for me. So that won't happen. Because he recognized that Peter and John had a connection with God. But he knew that his words were going to be like hitting the ceiling and dropping to the floor. Because he didn't have that connection with God. So he asked them to pray. There is only one intercessor for prayer. And that is the man Jesus Christ. He's the only one that we can pray. So Peter praying or John praying. That's not who we need to be praying through. We need to be praying from our heart through Jesus Christ. That's what gives us access to the throne room of God. It's because of what he has done for us. Pray to the Lord for me so that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. And so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem uh, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So 
Peter and John now are going back to Jerusalem, but they go through Samaria. They don't go out of Samaria and then go back to Jerusalem. They go through the villages in Samaria. They say, you know what? If there's fruit here, if there's a harvest here, we're going to be involved. We're going to do what the Lord has called us to do and go to these places, even though we don't like the Samaritans. We're going to do it. Because that's what God is calling us to do. And as soon as these people receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, guess what? They're no longer Samaritans. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter where they came from, what race they are, what country they live in, what ethnos. It doesn't matter. They're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's all of us here today. No matter, this isn't the Italian church because, you know, I'm Italian, so I'm, I'm only looking for Italians to come here and, and get saved. No, we're, we're all, no matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, no matter what you've done in your past, there is nothing that you've done in your past, even... Simon the sorcerer can be saved. Remember Saul persecuted the church and he became Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament, all the epistles and everything in the New Testament. He became on fire and sold out for the Lord. Are we sold out that way? Do we believe that we can be used in that way? We should. Because we aren't qualified by what we've done in going to um, seminary or, uh, you know, doing Bible college or how many years we've been a Christian. That is not what qualifies us. What qualifies us is the fact that we have the Holy Spirit. And then we are set free from the past and our new creations in Christ. And now we're qualified to be a representative of Jesus Christ in this world. Time is short. Now, when I say that, people are like, oh, you're talking about the rapture? It's going to happen soon? Maybe. But time is short because we're all going to die. And... And we don't know when that is. So time is short and God wants to use the amount of time that we have left on this world to reach those people in our sphere of influence because he loves them just as much as he loves us. Amen. Amen.